0: Hey, guys, Lou Perez here, and welcome to the Lou Perez Podcast. If you're joining me, you might recognize me for my work with We the Internet TV and Greg and Lou. And just so you know, my podcast is completely independent from those other projects. So I need your support. If you could, head on over to Locals.com and join the Lou Perez community. That would be great. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Uh, For this episode, I'm joined by the boys from Trigonometry, um, Francis and Constantin. We had a, a really great, uh, great discussion. We talked about comedy. We talked about Black Lives Matter. And uh, Francis tells us a story about how he was canceled from making a joke about milk. Very happy to be joined by uh, these two guests, Constantine Kissin and Francis Foster. They are of the boy band Trigonometry. Um, I've been a huge fan of these guys uh, for a while and I actually had the, um, the great pleasure of being a guest on one of their episodes, man, it feels like very long ago. I think it was back in December of 2019 and, uh, and a lot has changed. So how are you guys doing?
1: We're doing very well. Thank you, Lou. Uh, we're doing great, actually. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's been an intense lockdown, I think. We, I we, we've done a lot of great things. We've, uh, we've been cancelled, which was exciting. Um, he's yeah. been cancelled many times because he's obviously dreadful. I'm a good person. Yeah. Uh, so it's never happened to me. But Yeah, yeah. I
2: get, I get cancelled quickly. Francis takes time, so he gets cancelled over a period of time. Yeah,
1: I get uh, a sensual cancellation. Yeah. But, but
2: before,
0: before, we get, before we get into that, I, I have to say that um, uh, this happens to me all the time where I go onto a podcast and then afterward I immediately regret it because mm. I think that I utterly suck. And I wish, I wish I could say different about your podcast, but I left there thinking like, oh man, I came all the way from America and I sucked. <laughs> so I hope, I hope I wasn't so bad that I was part of the, um, of the cancellation. But um, what, what other people might not know is I was supposed to uh, perform at a, uh, a live show at Angel Comedy. Yeah. And apparently my appearance was so bad that the fucking roof caved in and the, uh, and the show had to be canceled.
1: Well, no, your jokes were so good, mate. It literally took the roof off.
0: It took the roof off before yeah. I could even before I could even go on stage to do it. But um, the roof
2: preventatively uh, caved in. That's how yeah. good you were going to be.
1: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> what was funny about that whole thing was is that uh, I um I I sent an email around to everybody saying that the show had been cancelled, and then I got accused of racism from that.
0: For, which. Uh, were there, enough, were there like black people on the show or something like that? And they thought well, that's why it was cancelled? It,
1: it, it was very funny because uh, the Angel Comedy has two venues. And the venue that I was running is a new act, new material night where there's more people. And then there was the pro night, which has only got like three acts on it. And essentially the pro night went ahead because it was in a completely different venue. And the new act night where I was, I had to cancel because the roof fell in. And I had one act tell me that... Uh, they, they the only f- reason I cancelled him was because he was Asian.
0: Because he yeah. was Asian? Well, he which was part Asian. of Asia?
1: Uh, he was... Um, I, I don't know. That, that's not now the, that's racist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, but that's not the point. The point is, is that the roof is racist.
2: No, the real point is, Lou. To answer your question, <laughs> that was a very long-winded of, way of saying there were no black people on the show, <laughs> obviously, because Francis books that gig.
1: Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's yeah. So I ensured that happened.
2: Or at least he used to.
1: At least I used to, and and now because right. of uh, my incendiary comments, I now no longer book it.
0: Well, well, it's so funny that you know people throw around um, the charge of racism, you know, to you guys, but meanwhile, I remember after uh, our episode was released. Like the comment section, which is full of—I don't know if I, I don't know if you would call them white supremacists or neo Nazis. Basically, we like
1: to call them our fans, Luke. your loyal diehard fans. Can you explain what what
0: that was about? Because I was sort of brought in, uh, you know, I I, I I was checking out the comment section, and I'm like, what?
2: What <laughs> yeah. happened here? Well, if you remember, they were actually attacking you and attacking us. Mm. So uh, right around the time that we had you on the show. Uh, I, it so happened that uh, we were quote-unquote outed as, fr- I was the shifty Jew and Francis is the hidden fat Jew. Um, secret Jew, secret I prefer. Jew. He prefers secret Jew, but he was really fat Jew. That, mm. was, the, that, that was the main gripe with him. Yeah. Uh, and basically we, we were uh, fat Jewish secret uh, grifters who were selling out uh, to the left or something. So we basically get attacked from every side. Uh, but this time it was our turn to be attacked by the white supremacists because we weren't right wing enough or something. I don't know. Um, but th- as this as as you know, you know, you've had that problem yourself. Where if you try and genuinely be balanced and sensible and look at both sides in a critical way and in an honest way, you will be attacked by both sides. So unfortunately, when we had you on the show, it was our turn to be attacked by these are people who are genuine Nazis. They they have Hitler memes that they send each other and wank themselves to sleep over. They're
1: nationalists. We've explored this many, many <laughs> yeah. times. But the they minute just... you call
2: them a Nazi, they just say they're nationalists and they just believe in borders and whatever. When really, if you go and look at what they actually talk about, they're actually genuine Nazis.
1: They just want to save space for the white race. Mate. Exactly.
0: Has there been any, um, have they popped up on any other, any other podcast or any, in, in the comments section or was it, are they sort of done? With
2: you guys? Well, with us, they're done. Uh, I think they, they spent probably about a month having it, uh, trying to attack us. They thought they were going to quote unquote destroy our channel or whatever. And, you know, because they're such a minority group and no one really cares what they think, very quickly it became clear that there's nothing they can do. So, th- they, this is what, like any other bullies, is if, they, if they can't bully you, they'll move on to someone else.
1: And it's also, as well, it's a fact that Jewish people ran YouTube, so they therefore protected us. <laughs> You've got. <laughs> You've got to get with the program and you've got to understand that they're in charge of everything and that we're part of their, uh, their grand plan. But it's, fr-
2: it's funny, Francis, you make that joke. They actually call it Jutube. Jutube. <laughs> Jutube.
0: <laughs> not that clever. It's, no. it's a very easy run. They could easily call it Lou Tube. Yeah. Lou and yeah. you. Uh, yeah. I, I think, you know, I guess one, you know, one positive thing to take away from that is something you pointed out, Constantine, is about that it is a minority. You know, that is like a small, a small group and, you know, you could have 10 vocal assholes. And I guess if you're just looking at the comment section, you're like, wow, there's a lot of them, but thankfully um, there aren't. And and it it raises something interesting, too, where, you know, you guys being called like, you're not right wing enough where I feel like things have been just so politicized where it's almost like uh, someone thinks if you agree with them on something, if you're like, hey, you know, the woke shit has gone too far that somehow they think you agree with them on everything, even the most gross, egregious things uh, possible. Um, and uh, and it, it's almost like the, um, like people almost want like a purity test. Like they're, well, I guess, I guess you know, white supremacists do want a purity test. The white purity test. Uh, a while back, I, uh, I've made a couple of videos making fun of Antifa. Mm. And I have a buddy of mine who is a, a journalist in, in, in Portland. And he was doing this piece, I guess, on like this, this violent white nationalist in Portland. And he sent me a, a screenshot. He was going through his Facebook page. And this motherfucker shared one of my Antifa videos. And he's like, here's a fan. And I'm like,
1: oh, my God,
0: I'm like, please don't tell anybody about that.
1: I mean, and, and this is a problem in that if you have a channel, whether it's interview based or comedic based that attacks everyone. They'll go, oh, look, he agrees with me on this very specific point. Therefore, he agrees with me on everything that the white race should be in charge. And obviously, it's just Constantine who thinks that, not me.
2: No, I don't think the white race, I'm the, I'm the actual Jewish one. It's the Jews. But it's not that we should be in charge, it's just that we are. Yeah. It's inevitable. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, I, I think that, that that's an inevitable problem of the, the polarized societies that we now have of where you are in America and in this country as well. Uh, and it, it's genuinely troubling to me because I, I think the woke shit has gone way, way, way too far. At the same time, I'm not right wing. Francis isn't right wing. We just, that. to be honest with you, I don't even know that I would care about politics that much if it wasn't for the woke shit going so far. You know, uh, there's so many other things I'd rather be talking about. And this is one of the great frustrations, I, I don't know about Francis, but certainly for me, is the caliber of guests we have on the show very often is fantastic present company accepted um but (laughs) uh, but you know we have amazing guests and there's so many incredible things that we could be talking about we have jeffrey miller and diana fleishman evolutionary psychologist brett weinstein the same you know brett weinstein is one of the most eminent evolutionary psychologists and biologists in the world and yet we spend the whole time talking about politics it's a a waste of these people's time and energy to be be talking about these things. And so many of our guests, I feel that way. I think you're right. uh, People will attach themselves to your cause. But one of the things that Francis and I sort of quite deliberately do is almost provoke people by being very clear about what we think and what we are not on board with. And that way you sort of chisel out the audience that is actually reasonable and sensible. And that, I think, is probably one of the reasons that we've been attacked from both sides is we say to both sides we're not on your side
0: mm. mm-hmm.
1: and that makes us Nazis
0: right yeah i i did a, a live show in portland um oh, wow. uh, last last year <laughs> and and brett weinstein was on the uh, was on the panel uh, mm-hmm. he and his wife heather hying and and i brought up the same thing that that you guys are talking about how you know wasting time talking about this bullshit and it's like right. And I'm like, what you know? What would you guys rather be talking about? You know, people forget that they were, um, you know, they're evolutionary biologists who were teaching at a university and doing this, um, what sounded like incredible research. They seem like the type of professors that you would be so lucky to just be able to study with. And I think the two of them, I think they're working on a, uh, um, they're working on a book having to do with, uh, I don't know if it's like uh, evolutionary biology in tribes or something like that or relationships, but. Um, but it's like, yeah, I, I think every now and then it would be really good uh, if instead of having them have to, you know, recap what happened in Evergreen, if they could just talk about the stuff that they're really interested in, in, uh, in studying.
1: Yeah, and, it, and it's, I think it's an important point to address as well is the stuff that we talk about is stuff that we all accepted 10 or even five years ago. Men and women are different. They're not the same. There are only two sexes or two genders. You know, we can go on and on and on, but because of a small minority of people being ultra vocal, and not only ultra vocal, verging into bullying and outright bullying at times, somehow we have to have these conversations again when everybody knows that men and women are different, for example.
2: And that's been one of the things that I think during the lockdown, particularly obviously people being stuck at home, unable to socialise, etc. Probably one of the most common messages that we've got from people who watch the show is, you've kept me sane through these months. And really all we're doing to a large extent is talking to people who are going, no, no, you know, you're not crazy if you think that transitioning children, you should be able to pick your own gender at the age of three, right? Like, and this is the sort of stuff, the basic stuff that we talk about that people need to, at this point, hear back because a lot of what they're consuming, particularly online, I think this is majority online problem Uh, If you just go around talking to ordinary people, this is less of an issue. But online, if all you're doing is sitting at home consuming online media and social media, uh, then it it can feel a little bit... You're being gaslit, but sort of on an industrial scale,
1: you know? Yeah. And we've seen that as well with uh, Black, Black Lives Matter UK, where it was, you know, marketed as a civil rights movement. Then you go on the organization's page and their stated aims and goals, and it's, you know, overthrow capitalism, defund the police... You know, abolishing the nuclear family and I mean I've done some I've had some dreadful ideas in my time but I don't think any of them have been as shit as those three and, and you think well how can I possibly agree with this you know I come from a country where where communism is prevalent we have a communist now dictatorship it never ends well and then what is very interesting is is at the moment you openly criticize not the statement but the organization You are immediately tarred as a racist, even though they're a political organisation, and you should be free. You should be free to criticise them like you would the Republicans or the Democrats or the Conservative or the Labour Party over here.
0: Yeah, it's it's one of those things where you know um, you you can't feign not knowing what a uh, organisation believes when the organisation. Went to the trouble of making a website and writing down all the things that they believe, um, and I think that that's sort of the example of um, what's the thing called the the Mott and Bailey, the idea of you you know uh, make a you make a, a a statement like Black Lives Matter, and people are like yeah, of course uh, we you know we agree on that, and then um, you say a bunch of the uh, you know ridiculous stuff like you know eliminating the nuclear family, and then when people criticize that. You retreat back to wait. Are you saying that Black Lives uh, don't matter? Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I, I know I've seen a lot of people online make the effort to distinguish between the uh, Black Lives Matter uh, all lowercase and Black Lives Matter uh, the uh, the organization. You know, something I want to want to ask you guys. You know, uh, I'm an American. We're in the United States. We have what I think is a is a very uh, is a very different history with with race in particular, um, racism against, uh, African-Americans here. Mm. Um, but then, you know, I, I, I go online and I see that, that you guys are having protests in England and I'm like, wait a minute, how many black people are being shot in England?
2: Right. Mm. Um, you know, well, it's interesting. We all, not only do we not have African-Americans, uh, uh, we also don't have guns in this country. Right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the statistic for last year for 2019 is I think, uh, One person, either one or two people, were shot dead by the police uh, from an ethnic minority background. Uh, And uh, the one who I think was killed was uh, just one person, and that was Usman Khan, the guy who stabbed uh, a bunch of people on London Bridge in the heart of London and uh, pretended to have a suicide vest on, right? I'm pretty down with shooting those sort of people. I don't, I don't really have a problem with it. I don't think that's a, a social justice issue, to be honest. Right? And
1: that's what makes you right wing.
2: Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm quite happy. I think the police should be gunning down terrorists uh, as much as possible, personally. But um, you're right. We don't have that issue. That said, if you, if you speak to... We have, obviously, doing comedy. We have lots of friends uh, who are from all sorts of backgrounds. We had. We had, correct. <laughs> we had friends from all sorts of backgrounds. But if you speak to them they would tell you growing up 30 40 years ago in this country as a black uh y- youngster particularly male the police were uh, heavy-handed and they would have been uh, in many cases prejudiced against people from minorities so no one would deny that but uh to 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 imply that we we have the same thing as 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 you know someone kneeling on a on a suspect's neck until they die is preposterous we don't have anything like that so to see these protests in this country and particularly the, the the violence of them you know and then the media going oh these are largely peaceful protests right next to a photo of a policewoman being knocked off a horse and hitting her head um that was quite shocking to a lot of people um but i think it's because we import the american culture war uh, as we import american movies as we import american uh you know all sorts of uh, discourse from you
1: guys So you've got a lot to apologise for, Lou, is what we're saying. But, but, um, I mean, one of the things that people don't really talk about here is that we, our police force, in particular the Metropolitan Police, was found to be institutionally racist under under the McPherson report. So I think it was in 1995, or maybe in 1996, a teenager called Stephen Lawrence was murdered in South London by about eight uh, white youths, and Stephen was black. And the reason that, until now uh, although we have charged several people for his murder but the reason that those youths weren't charged with his murder was because the officers who were investigating the murder were corrupt and also racist so that there was an investigation and a public outcry into this and then something uh, someone called lord mcpherson did a report and the metropolitan police was found to be institutionally racist so our police force has had its problems but as a result of that there is a root and branch investigation The police have done a lot of work in this country. They are by no means perfect. Of course not. And of course, there are still racists within the police force. But the police force has done a lot of work. And immediately when people go out and say, you know, the entire system is corrupt, the entire system is racist, the entire system is this and that, it ignores the work that has been done over generations of trying to tackle these sorts of problems.
0: Yeah, and I I think one of the issues, too, um, in a country like the United States, it's know, it's a huge country. And so much of what happens is when, uh, for example, uh, what happened with, you know, George Floyd, the, you know, the killing of of George Floyd, that happened in a particular city with particular police officers. And then there's sort of like this six degrees of Kevin Bacon, where uh, police officers now in New York are somehow responsible for what happened in, in Minneapolis. And I think that really just um, doesn't take into account all the nuances uh, that are involved, and also the fact that in a lot of in a lot of cities, police uh, police forces you know tend, uh, there are police forces where there are a lot of minorities on the police force. So then you get things like uh, you know uh, anti police protesters, you know white anti police protesters screaming at black police officers, calling them you know Uncle Toms or or, or, or you know, uh, any other you know, awful name. Yeah.
1: And I think that this is one of the problems, is that you see it a lot with the woke uh, side of things in that they have a narrative. So, and they have a select few narratives, in particular, you know, we live under a system of white supremacy and all these types of things, uh, types of narratives that they like to propagate. But the problem is with this, is just as you've explained, is it completely na- lacks nuance when if you actually explore the problem, you might be able to find a solution, you might be able to tackle certain things. But if you just apply this blanket narrative, then nothing really gets done because what they say is everything is corrupt and therefore we need to destroy everything and start again from zero. And as someone who has seen what's happened when those ideas are implemented, it never leads to anything good.
0: Going back to, uh, the, uh, the cancelling of you guys. Mm. Um, can you... What, what happened there? Um, what, what was it that you think, uh, you know, led to the cancellation? of po-
1: shit jokes. <laughs> it's the power of my devastating j- jokes, mate. Satire. Satire. Cutting edge satire. It's truth bullets, mate. I just kept firing them. Now, what happened was, is we had a, a contentious guest on um, by the name of Lawrence Fox. And Lawrence, we, we love him dearly, but I think it's fair to say is somebody who you know divides opinion in this country and we had him on because we believe he's got uh, he's got a lot of things to say so we brought him on i took him into the kitchen of the comedy club we used to record at i opened the fridge i said to him lawrence i'm very sorry we're lefty pricks in this comedy club we all had, we had uh non-lactose milk and all uh, so we had oat milk soya milk i gestured at the soy milk and i went i'm very sorry we've only got cunty milk uh, not my greatest joke not my finest uh, moment of comedy.
2: Uh, I love Lou's face. He's just <laughs> looking going what does that mean? <laughs> yeah,
1: I know he, he's, he's from America. They've only got cunty milk there yeah. uh, But uh, in I thought nothing of it. We went to do the interview. It was great uh, Three weeks passed and then uh, the director came into the room uh, proceeded to get very angry at me telling me that I've become a mean and nasty person uh, we then got an email explaining that we'd been cancelled for publicly humiliating him for laughing at his milk, and <laughs> and when we started to dig a little bit deeper, it's the reality was is because he didn't like the jokes that I was making online, and then you dig a little deeper as well, and it's because I was openly critical of the Black Lives Matter UK organisation.
2: Well, we both work, uh, we both were critical, but they already have written me off. <laughs> yeah. You know? Uh, was Francis being evil was a revelation?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, well, so, so hey ho, so, uh, we got so, so basically results.
0: So so this per- this person this person was basically putting a list of all the things that they have wrong with you, mm. and they were waiting and waiting and waiting for their opportunity to pounce and yeah. to finally get rid of you. Yeah. And and the thing that did it was milk. Yes. Or, so, milky. Wow.
1: Yeah, I publicly and, humiliated him. Yeah, that's. But anyway, look, uh, I mean,
2: it certainly was difficult at the time. Uh, but as you can see, we're in our brand new studio. It was a very good thing for us. Our fans stepped up and helped us to fund uh, our own place that we mm. can rely on and we can get any guests we want that we think is important. Uh, we don't have to worry about that. So in, in some ways, I, I, I don't. I, you know, we make jokes about it, but I actually, for people like us and probably to some extent you as well, is... I, I'm not too worried about being cancelled, really, because if you make content that people enjoy and believe in, uh, being cancelled is probably quite a good thing in some ways, you know. Uh, and of course, it's always painful to you know lose friends and, mm. and to uh, to have disagreements with people. But I, I think that the sort of time that we're in, we're we're incredibly privileged and fortunate, actually, because if you think about the work that you do and the work that we do, uh, doing something like this or 500 years ago, we would all have been burned at the stake by now, mm. whereas now, we're sitting here having a conversation about it. So in some ways,
1: especially you being Jewish, mate. Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> uh, well, you would have taken my money first. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I, I think we shouldn't really get too carried away. I think cancel culture is a problem, but I am less sympathetic to huge celebrities, actually, who, who go on about being cancelled. Uh, I'm much more, much more concerned about Cancel culture as it applies to ordinary people and those are the sort of people we're having come on the show so for example we had a man in this country who who used his unemployment benefits that he'd saved up over a period of years to create a charity uh, which helped young people who were having behavioral problems uh, to make something of their lives in the inner city something incredibly worthwhile Uh, he did this for seven years he worked with youngsters from all backgrounds uh, and during the BLM craze that we had here, he just went on their website and he looked at it and went, oh shit, this isn't what, what it says on the surface. And he wrote a blog. And within about two weeks, he was sacked from his own charity that he'd created. Uh, and thanks to the Free Speech Union, which is an organization one of our, our, our regular guests founded in this country, he was able to get his job, job back. So. When, I, when, when I'm thinking and complaining and sort of saying anything about cancel culture, it's people like him that
1: I'm thinking about. Mm-hmm. And it's also in, in as a, well, we've now got a fridge full of non county milk, so... <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, the great and, uh, irony of this is Francis is actually one of these lactose intolerant people who can't drink normal milk. So he genuinely was joking, and it was something that was deliberately taken out of context and used against us. But that is what happens when, when you say things that aren't popular. And look, that's... It's, yeah, you know, it comes with the territory. I don't. I don't yeah. think we should complain about it too much.
0: And and I wonder if uh, it probably helps to take the sting out of it. The fact that comedy clubs are closed down now, so oh. it's sort of like what you know. You guys have worked so hard to build your audience to be the you know to be the two people uh, you know that that people come to for some sanity. Mm. Where where other people who you know never thought to you know to have an outlet. You know they must be struggling right now. But do you guys do you guys miss not being able to to perform live, like uh...
1: I, I think we're we're very very different in this respect. So I desperately miss doing stand up comedy. I mean, there were elements of clubs that I found frustrating. The fact that it was very much like teaching that the vast majority of people would be there to enjoy, to listen, to laugh, and you have a small minority of dickheads who are there to you know drink and talk over people and essentially be obnoxious. But I I, I do miss co- uh, stand up comedy. I was very lucky in that. There are still some clubs open that I get booked to do and occasionally I can go and do a gig and it's really lovely. It's like going back into a warm bath. So I do miss it. Not all aspects of club comedy do I miss, but I do miss the immediacy and the invigorating nature of performing stand-up.
2: Whereas for me, it's been really great because I hadn't realized just how tired I was before the lockdown, Lou. So I was driving, you know, for me, to, like you you, li- you li- living in Brooklyn, I'm guessing for you to get to a show, you can probably do three or four shows a night. It's a 20, 30 minute, uh, you know, metro or whatever, uh, subway ride. Whereas for me, it was like, drive an hour and a half there, hour and a half back, do one gig a night, that sort of thing. So I was starting to get very tired of it. And also, I'm much more interested in, in satire rather than comedy. And that's something that I was starting to find increasingly frustrating on the club circuit where people just want, they don't want to hear about, you know, the politics side of it. They just want to hear some good uh, dick jokes or whatever it is, which Francis specializes right. in. Yeah. So I, I I didn't want to have to compete in in that environment. So I was really enjoying performing to my own audience and doing my own shows, which is like an hour's worth of, of, of material. But... Um, that's something in this country you can really only do if you're doing a tour, uh, or if you're doing the Edinburgh Festival. And I did the Edinburgh Festival in August, I really enjoyed that. But I think in the future, I'll be sticking to that format, which is Mm -hmm. like our shows. And the best way for us to do that really is to do the trigonometry. We did a few live shows with Andrew Doyle, the creator of Titania McGrath. And going forward, we'll be doing shows that are sort of a mixture of comedy, Commentary, analysis—you know that sort of thing—and dick jokes—and dick jokes, and dick jokes. Uh, yeah, Francis. And P- dick jokes, That's exactly. What yeah. It's what you want. Yeah,
1: yeah. everyone yeah. loves yeah. a I'm, good I'm dick I've
0: no- noticed when when I've done uh, when I've done live stuff, I've I've uh, performed for um, like uh, a lot of times, like college groups, and mm. what I find is, uh, so I, I usually do a um, little bit of stand, like twenty minutes of stand up, mm. then I'll do like sometimes I'll show videos, and then afterwards uh, do a do and A. Q&A. And it's almost like um, it, it's almost like when it comes to comedians now, you, it seems like you have to kind of be a like a full, like a holistic personality in a way where people aren't just interested in. you. Um, oh, you have a stand up album. Great. I'm going to I'm going to buy that. And that's it. So much of, uh, of what a comedian is, is now available to them or you make it available through the podcast and through. Um, and and through all the other stuff. Do 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 you guys find that as well? Like people are coming to see kind of, they're not just coming to see your act, they're coming to see like my friends that I listen to all the time.
1: I think so and I think in particular for us because a lot of our fans and a lot of the people who really engage with us feel on some level that they have political opinions which are sane, rational and sensible. But as of now, they are very, very timid to express them simply because they fear what would happen to them. For example, criticising BLM UK, even if you have perfect, legitimate and rational criticisms for them. So when they come to see us, they see it as not only a chance for them to enjoy our comedy, but it's also a chance for them to show their support of us and for what we do. So it's really lovely as well to connect with people and see that you're making a difference and you're connecting with completely different types of people from a wide range of society.
2: And also what we've started doing, Lou, since the lockdown is we, we sort of looked at it and decided, well, these are the circumstances. People are stuck at home. I don't know what it was like in New York. I know it was pretty strict, but in this country, there was a period of a number of months where you were literally allowed only to go out once a day. And that was shopping, a bit of exercise uh, or for medical needs. That was it. Uh, So a lot of people were stuck at home. They couldn't work. You were encouraged not to go to work. People were paid not to work. So a lot of people were stuck at home and we were like, well, what do we do? Particularly now that we're not doing stand-up live every night Uh, and we decided to start doing live streams where Francis and I talk about the issues of the day. We chat to our fans and that's been one of the things that I think we've ramped up. So we used to just put out one interview a week. Now we do two and four live streams a week. So we're basically working every night uh pretty much except yeah. mondays and the thing that's happened there is you know when you go to a comedy club uh you're performing you know at best to two three hundred people um, who are there to see a comedy show they're not there to see you now we're we're on the stream every night talking to thousands of people
1: absolutely and you realize that that audience is there purely for you because as a comedian, yeah, and purely you know, for me, man. Yeah, purely, yeah, that's there we go. Yeah, the ego of a comedian, ladies and gentlemen. But the thing that you will notice in, when you're doing stand-up, which we all have, is you're on stage and you're doing your stuff and you're getting really into something that you might be interested in. At one point, you look at the audience and go, I'm starting to lose them here. It's starting to become a bit niche. I need to bring it back. I need to become more broad, more mainstream, because that's what you do. When you're a club comedian, your job is to give them the best possible version of you, and that means being as broad and as mainstream as possible, whereas with this, you know, we can become niche, we can talk about certain topics that the average person might not be interested in, but our audience would be and would love, so that's really invigorating.
0: Yeah, is there is there a topic that you guys are just so tired of talking about? That oh, the like, woke shit. The woke shit. Woke shit.
1: Man. Oh, we're just done it's just over i'm just so bored now of people saying something's racist mm-hmm. i just before you know we i'd be if if i heard that word being used i would be you know i'd be mortified to be like oh what, what what's you know if somebody said that word to me now it it, it, it doesn't mean anything anymore it's boring it's yeah. just got really boring i remember growing up in south london in the 80s when there was down the road for me there was a pub which was uh right which had national front connotations to it and that's That's like the kkk yeah basically Mm -hmm. the english version which is like everything we do in england it's a bit shitter and a bit less glamorous right more more headbutting yeah yeah more yeah more headbutting more
2: headbutting fewer teeth
1: yeah fewer teeth less organization less glamour right and that's where they used to meet, and there was you know the there was the undertone of violence and, and and all the rest of it but now you, you see someone being called a racist and it's because, you know, they don't think quotas should, should exist.
0: Yeah. Mm. Well, 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 now we're, we're sort of operating from um, the default position that everything is racist. Yeah. Mm. Right. So it's almost, it's almost redundant to point it out. It, it's almost like now, now the work is to uh, describe how racist it is versus how not racist it is. Um, I, I, I sort of describe, um, I, um, you, you know, you see so many, uh, uh, so many articles written about how such and such is racist. And it reminds me of being in college and having a paper due the next morning and I haven't done any work on it. Mm. So it's like, all right, well, uh, how is this racist? <laughs> <laughs> And then let me just write, you know, this, you know, a thousand word paper and then turn it in and then, okay, maybe, maybe I get a B minus on it, but I got the work done and I, and I, uh, uh, and I put it out there.
2: Yeah. You winged it. And I think a lot of it is, is down to that, but it's very tiring talking about it on the one hand. On the other hand, I do think it's important that we have these conversations. And the reason is I see what's happening as a civilizational issue. Uh, in other words, We as a Western civilization have become so unwilling to maintain our confidence in ourselves, our our feeling that what we are is good, what we are is valuable, what we are, it's not perfect, it's not without its historical flaws, but as, as a culture, as a civilization, it's a good thing. In fact, it's one of the best civilizations that have ever existed, right? Objectively speaking. There's no question about that. And my worry is that While a lot of people obviously support things like BLM simply because the Martin Bailey, like there's the thing that they're being presented with is a reasonable statement that all people would agree with. There are also some people behind the scenes in academia and some of the people at the core of these organizations who see Western civilization as an evil thing that needs to be destroyed from within. And that's my worry. And that's why I think it's really important to just show the world what they are and what they really believe you know james lindsay has been doing a lot of good work on this issue actually showing up critical race theory for what it is what is it that these people think what is it that they actually believe and i think you know people like robin d'angelo and others they're really exploiting this ambiguity that is now imbued in western civilization where we're sort of like are we really bad people like we're we're sort of at that point and I feel like it is particularly big responsibility for someone like me who's a first generation immigrant to the West to go, no, no, there's a historical context to all of this, right? And actually, Britain in particular is one of the best places to live, not just in the world now as an immigrant, as someone with darker skin, whatever, but actually in the entire history of our species. And, and I think that someone has, to, someone has to remind people that that's true. That's not to say that we don't have problems. That's not to say that some people aren't prejudiced. That's not to say that some people aren't bigots. I work with an, with the one every day. It's but, Anton. <laughs> it's our <laughs> producer Anton. But yeah, so so someone has to say that. Someone absolutely has to make that point. Otherwise, we're we're heading to a very dark place. And I I didn't come here and make my home here and make a life here for that to happen.
1: Yeah, and. It's a very, very good point that Constantine has made, and that's the only time you'll ever hear me saying those words. But I just find it very, very worrying. You see the influence of identity politics. It's the best form of divide and conquer that I've ever seen. It literally takes everyone and pits them against each other. So the reality is, as a result of these ideas and these theories that are being propagated, that we're seeing spread right the way through social media, it's literally turning people against each other and it's very, very worrying in that we're becoming more and more segregated as a society. We're interacting less. We're becoming more suspicious of one another. It's increasing racial divides. It's increasing divides across the genders. It's, it's doing absolutely awful things and we need to speak up against it.
2: I love the way you went really progressive and you said divides across the genders. I oh, know, like, mate. There's 67 of them.
1: There's 64. Bigger. <laughs> but... You know, we 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 joke about it but the reason that both constantin and i do this show is because we've seen with our own eyes what happens when these ideas get out of control so for instance you know we have defund the police in venezuela the police had had this uh put out this this slogan or, or this idea that they didn't investigate crimes because to investigate crime was seen as an example of right wing oppression and wow. you think that is not too far away from defund the police a lot of the ideas that blm have been propagating chavez had the same when he came to power in 99 and in fact two of the 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 ladies who created blm and started the movement they took a photo with nicolas maduro the dictator of venezuela and they were all doing black power salutes and that is a man who's been condemned by Amnesty International, has got a whole list of human rights violations against his name.
2: Not been condemned by Jeremy Corbyn, though.
1: No. no, he's a great man.
0: <laughs> yeah, I find I find it very weird the um, how people pick and choose which leaders they're going to condemn. You know, so, yeah. um, you know, uh, in the United States, for example, you have uh, NBA stars, for example, very quick to condemn Donald Trump uh, quick mm. to talk about horrible, you know, uh, police brutality and abuse, but then they shut their mouths when it comes to China. When it comes to talking yeah, about human rights abuses in China, and yeah. it's a uh, it's something that I found it. it I, I forget what the Martin Luther King quote was exactly, but it's sort of uh, an injustice here is an injustice anywhere, something like that. Mm. And now it seems to sort of change where it's like an injustice here. Is an injustice here, and then if there's an injustice elsewhere, uh, well, unless the United States is somehow responsible for that injustice, we don't give a shit about that uh, hmm. that injustice. And I, and I find it really troubling because it shows a lack of integrity or, or sticking to uh, to principles. And, I, and I've 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 heard arguments before where it's like, uh, hey, if you're an American, what right do you have to talk about human rights abuses in other countries with your history? And then it's like, wow, you're you're kind of taking away um you know so much uh i don't know so much ammunition from people who have been fighting against injustices not only in the united states but all over the world Um,
2: Mm. i think there's two things that in terms of the nba which I, i used to be a big fan of uh the nba kowtows to china because the chinese market is bigger than the american market for the nba so the chinese pay their all of their salaries and their sneaker deals and everything else Uh, But but equally, it goes back to the point that I just made about a sort of self-loathing in the West, where we, we, we want to hate ourselves. Therefore, when other people do things that are way worse than what we do, that's okay. When we do something, when one man in Minnesota does something wrong, that's reflective of all society and its history. And that, that, that's the way, that's the distorted way we now look at these things. I mean, even look at the issue of slavery the the conversation around slavery uh, in this country, certainly, Well, we have this horrible history, this uniquely, we're uniquely evil, the, the British empire was evil. Actually, slavery was sort of the norm uh, all throughout human right, history. Right. Uh, more, the Arab slave traders took more black Africans out of Africa than Western Europeans ever did. Uh, that's not to say that the slave trade, the transatlantic slave trade, was, was, wasn't was horrible. Of course it was. It was really terrible. And it was industrialized, which is perhaps what made it so bad. But this idea that... even Look at the way we even talk about it. We call it slavery, as if the, the transatlantic slave trade was the one instance of slavery in human history. But that's just nonsense. The, the ancient Greeks... Who, who our whole civilization sort of looks up to, they had slaves. Roman ha- Romans had slaves. Arab uh, and Muslim kingdoms, which, which were the sort of preeminent enlightened kingdoms of the, the, the Middle Ages, they had slavery, right? So it's kind of like we, just, we have this completely ahistorical perspective on it, and we want to see ourselves as the evil ones for some reason, and that's what we need to push back against.
1: Moral of the story, if you want it shit done, that- get slaves. And... Uh... But it's, the, it's Lewis is going to clip that, that and put it out as I'm, the interview. Absolutely, and so he should as well. But I also think so. We, we talk about this self-flagellation, but I also think it's a type of narcissism as well. In that we always have to put mm-hmm. ourselves at the center of the story. We always have to be either you know the, if we're going to be the villains, we have to be the villains. You know, it has to be us. We're the worst. We're, we're you know when it comes to you look at everything that we talk about, whether it's slavery. Whether it's you know white supremacy, whatever else it might be, we are always the worst at it, which is a type of arrogance actually. Because you look at other civilizations, and they're far more brutal than ours has been. But we always like to think we're the worst. And what Constantine has talked about is the fact that it comes down to we don't get properly educated, we just don't, mm-hmm. and that's why you yeah, see thought- you know. I- People criticising Trump, but if a leader's communist, then it's absolutely fine because, hey, they've got the best interests of their population at heart. Doesn't mean that they wiped out millions of people. It was all for the greater good. Yeah, but they
2: meant well. Exactly. They meant well, and when they send those people to die in the gulags, it was for a good cause.
1: Absolutely. It was for progressiveness, which is, as we all know, is a good thing. But I I just find it very interesting, like in uh, in this country, there's a comedian... I'm not gonna say his name, but he, you know, he's uh, Chinese and he, he, he markets himself on that, which again, fair enough. But he always likes to talk about, you know, oh, you know, it's the white man does this, the white man does that, and I'm like, here's the thing, mate, China ain't great.
2: <laughs> it <Yeah>. really isn't. <laughs> Sorry. What? He's like, white people are so racist. Yeah. Yeah, what about your boys? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure you
1: all aren't great yeah. either. Let's talk about the Uyghurs.
0: I imagine he might be an only child <laughs> um, that might be. It re- might be. A reason for that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> an, an
2: example. I don't, I don't know. He, if you he might guys have had said. a sister, but
1: not yeah. for very long. Yeah. Though. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> it's interesting to think, or scary to think, that people don't understand that it is slavery is a, a a human institution that was around for you know for as long as you know human beings are around. Probably there was a yeah. there was a program I believe on PBS where uh, they would investigate the. Uh, family histories of famous people. And one of the people that they investigated was was Don Cheadle, who is a, a, mm. uh, an actor, African-American actor. They traced back his lineage. His ancestors were slaves in the United States, but they were never owned by white people. They were owned by Native Americans. I didn't even know this, but there was a time in the United States where the United States had to force... Um, Native Americans, or I believe this particular tribe, to give up their slaves. You know, and you, you, you hear something like that, it's just like mind-blowing. And um, if uh, anyone can go and, and check it out on, on YouTube, the, the clip is there.
1: Let's cancel the Native Americans. Cancel the yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, was but getting, this uh, is the thing, uh, man, is, look, human history is an incredibly complex tapestry of oppression and power and all of this stuff Uh, to say that one group is uniquely this or uniquely that is nonsense and uh, this simplistic way of looking at it I mean you know we talk about racism as a thing that white people do Uh, all the evidence if you poll people and ask them if you ask there's been polling on this in America as well if you ask black people who are the most racist people in, in, in America they say black people.
1: Well it goes back to that old Chris Rock joke who's more racist white people the or Chris black Rock people. Joke. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, who's more well, racist black people or white people? He goes black people because they hate white what? people and they hate black people. Right.
0: It's funny you, you bring up Chris Rock because I was watching one of his bits. I think it might have been from the same uh might have been from the same special where he was talking about how, you know, there's a there's a, a one-legged white busboy right now working in this, you know, uh, you know, in the theater where, where he's performing, and he would never switch spots with Chris Rock because he's black, and he's like, and Chris Rock's, and I'm rich. Wow, I just fucked up Chris Rock's bit. I'm so sorry, Chris Rock.
1: <laughs> genius, you're genius, I and
0: I fucked it
2: up. That doesn't, doesn't make any
0: sense. In summa, in summary, Chris Rock was being, at the time Chris Rock was saying this. He was saying nobody would want to be black, even if it's you're going to be Chris Rock, a very wealthy uh, black person. And that that special was probably from like 20 years ago or something like that. And I look at that and I'm like, man, times have really changed. Where you see mm. the amount of people who are co- who are being outed as white who were pretending to be black. And mm, and right. I and I'm trying to make you know I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to get, get a investigate this or get an understanding of that. But like the idea of yeah. of somebody who is who is white. Um, trying to make the world think that they're black. Um, And I I guess there were a couple of, like, academics who've come out recently uh, um, who were pretending to be black or Puerto Rican or something like that. Have you you guys uh, heard about that?
2: Yeah, I did hear about it. But that's what happens if you make oppression uh, and victimhood currency, then people who want more of it are going to pretend. And it was funny because this woman, I think she was actually Jewish. uh, And... uh, There was a, I I saw a video of her going, all y'all don't understand, like she was speaking. I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Awful, It was so, it
0: was, it was so hard. It's like, oh my God, like this bitch can't even act. Like this is freaking, (laughs) this is terrible. And it's so, it's so, it's so funny when I see that stuff or when I hear about, you know, diversity training and stuff like that. Um, It's, it's funny for me because I'm, uh, I'm 38 years old and I'm, I'm from Queens, New York originally. So Queens is the most diverse place on the planet. Mm. People from all over uh you know yeah. uh, uh, live live in queens and it's like i don 't need diversity training. I grew up with them I grew up with every kind of person and yeah. fortunately i've I've met you know people who are you know good people of every race and ethnicity and creed and I've met assholes of every race, ethnicity and creed and it's probably easier for me to treat people as individuals because i've met the best and the worst uh the world has to offer, I guess.
1: Oh, absolutely. So I grew up in South London, and when, you know, in the 80s and 90s, South London is and always will be an ethnically diverse place. But You know, I'm, I'm half Latin American. I'm, I had a mate who's uh, half Irish, half Malaysian, half Italian, half English, you know, a, a, a Indian, and we, it was just a melting pot. And it didn't really matter because what mattered actually when you were young lads at that time was what we in England called taking the piss. Right, and all that mattered was that you were able to laugh and banter and if you could you were in and if you couldn't you weren't and now it just seems that we're more divided than ever we like oh but you're this and this means this and therefore you're this and how do you feel about this and it, it is giving power to things that aren't important what should matter is who you are as a human being but we seem to have lost that in this whole nonsense
2: can I just say Lou, you grew up in Queens, France, or South London. I grew up in all-white Russia, and that was the best way.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. It's why we're putting <laughs> him on a plane tomorrow, mate, so he can go back there. Mate, be quiet we'll get some Novichok <laughs> in your team. Well, yeah, how, you, how
0: do you feel about, um, is the uh, Prime Minister of Ukraine or President, is, he, uh, is it still the comedian? Uh, is that a... Yeah,
2: he is. Yeah, he's he, And he, he, he's performing like one as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. He's got he had a great oh, 20 right. minutes, mate. But after a year, the joke's starting to wear thin. He,
2: he ran out of material pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. uh,
0: just going back to talk about cancel culture, I've had this theory and uh, I want to run it by you guys, see what you think about it. I think that a lot of the current incarnation of cancel culture can be blamed on social media in that it used to be that like comedians were the ones who are allowed to talk about the stuff you're not allowed to talk about the kind of
1: mm.
0: comedians are allowed to make jokes on stage that you're not allowed to tell at work without being written up to HR. Um, and I almost, I almost think like with social media now, anybody who isn't a comedian can sort of dip their toe in and start making jokes and then like pull back. And it's almost like uh, comedians are now being held to the same standards as You know, Jenny in accounting, where it's like, oh, Jenny in accounting, you can't make a joke about, um, you know, about race. Um, You're going to be written up. So therefore, now comedians need to be under the same limitations. What do you guys think about that?
1: I I think I I completely agree with you. I think as the more we've moved on and the more we've swum in this miasma of shit, as I like to call it, the more it seems that we don't actually take jokes anymore as they're meant to be taken. We now take jokes literally. They're a statement of fact. So the idea that you could be ironic, the idea that you could be playful or flippant with a serious topic simply doesn't exist anymore in the, in the, in the mind of a lot of people. And so what happens is that you say a topic or, or, or a, you know, a quip or a joke, And then people then steam in and go, well, you can't say this, you can't say that, or they take offence on behalf of other people. But I think one thing that it's really, really important to remember is that most people aren't like that. Mm. Most people realise that it's a joke. Most people realise that when you're making a joke, it's not meant to be taken seriously. It's not meant to be taken literally. It's meant to be playful and irreverent. And it's a time to... And it's, it's a way to add a little bit of lightness to situations which are very dark and serious.
2: And I think that's where social media comes in because, as Francis said, the overwhelming majority of people understand what jokes are. But the minority now have power. They're now emboldened. Uh, and it's not just online, that feeds through back into real life. So obviously playing the circuit here in, in, in London and broadly in the UK, we know a lot of people who run clubs and host clubs. and even before the lockdown you were starting to see the number of complaints people would make in comedy clubs going through the roof and it's literally that thing of like i'm offended that means i get to demand that the comedian never performs at the show and that's happening even as comedians are self-censoring way and way more than they ever have been so the the sort of offensiveness of the material is going down at the same time, the number of complaints is going up. And the reason that's happening, I think, is people have that sort of social media mindset, which is, well, I am a person with a voice now. Like 20 years ago, I was just a guy and everyone knew that I, you know, my opinion doesn't matter. Now, I, I, I have a voice and my opinion matters. And if I think something is something's wrong, then it doesn't matter that 299 other people are loving the show. It doesn't matter because if I'm offended or I'm upset, well, I now have power to to go and complain.
1: Absolutely, because they've got power to go and complain. So if they want, they can go on Twitter. You know, they can accuse the club of racism. There's a lot of people who will then pile in on that, retweet that, whatever, and, you know, give that a power which it simply doesn't deserve. They can go on TripAdvisor. There's a multitude of different ways that they can go and attack the club and the club owner and damage the reputation of the institution. So, club owners naturally think, why am I going to risk that? Why am I going to put someone on who is going to be divisive, who is going to be confrontational, when I can put someone on who could be maybe equally as good, but completely non-divisive, and will ensure that everybody leaves happy, and as a result, I don't get the reputational damage. But the
2: thing is, there is a trade-off there, because you say divisive, non-divisive. The way I think about it is, like, you want a little spice in your meal. Right. Now, some people don't like spicy food and for them, that spice is off-putting. But for a lot of other people, the absence of spice makes it very bland. And so when I'm thinking about wanting to go and see a comedy show, it's not about necessarily wanting a divisive person, but you definitely want somebody who's got an edge to them. That I've always been really attracted to performers who have an edge. And you can feel it off people and you can feel it in their material because that means you don't know what to expect. And the great thing about comedy is... It's all about that. It's all about someone who says something you did not expect. That's where the joke and the humor comes from. And if you take that away, you're left with very bland and stale topics that are increasingly shrinking in number. And I think that's quite boring.
1: It is quite boring. And it's also as well. Sorry, just to finish this point, Luke. Uh, You know, and you talk, we've talked about Chris Rock. Chris Rock did his very famous routine, you know, uh, black people versus the N-word. And he said that it took him to, from six months to a year to actually get it to a point where it really worked. He said before that, it was just racist. You know, and here's the thing, as comedians, you need time. If you're going to delve into a subject which is tricky, which is divisive, it's naturally more difficult to pull off than you know, a great routine about you know, driving down the road or using an automatic car because at any point you could yep. lose the audience. So it takes time. But if we're going to go into this kind of world where everybody's going to take offense at the slightest thing, you're going to kill their, those ideas at the very beginning.
0: I, I was having a, a back and forth on Facebook with this guy who has um, uh, very strong opinions about comedy. He, he doesn't <laughs> do comedy, but he, but he has very strong opinions about comedy. Right. And one, and one of the things that he kept uh, bringing up was uh, uh, truth in comedy. The reason why comedy works, uh, uh, you know, comedy works is because there's truth in comedy and he's a, uh, a white, cisgender, male, progressive. And I said, okay, here's Chris Rock's bit, the one that you just described, tell me what the truth is in that. Like challenging mm. him, like, um, you know, because if there's truth in that, right, then wow, now that truth is very problematic or at least some, pe- mm. uh, some people, by the way you look, aren't allowed to express that truth. One, one thing I, I just wanted to, to bring up, you guys talking about, um, People, you know, sort of filing these complaints is, you know, what do you want to accomplish with this complaint? Because there are some complaints that you file where, you know, if I if there's a, a restaurant that I really like and uh, that I've been going to for a while, and the the chef asks me about, you know, the meal, and I'm like, ah, you know, it was a little too salty, you know, something like that. My intention is, hey, you asked me what what was up with the meal. Maybe next time you won't put as much salt, and then I will have a better experience. Whereas hmm. it seems like people who are complaining like about, you know, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, public personalities or, or performers or, or theaters and all that, they ultimately want you not to work. They ultimately want want you not to be heard anymore. And that's really troubling for me. It's almost like how, you know, how easy do these people think it is to get a job, to put food on the table, uh, especially if you are, you know, taking the chance by doing, by doing comedy, by doing, uh, you know, this sort of thing.
2: I think we we have a bit of a throwaway country, culture in general. So, for example, we've just moved into our new studio. Uh, it's a much bigger space than the one where we interviewed you. And that meant there were some issues with the sound. It was very echoey. Uh, and Anton, our producer, was having a bit of an issue getting it right. And we got dozens of comments from people going, you need to fi- fire your sa- sound guy. So we did. So we did. <laughs> uh, exactly. Uh, but but this is the sort of like... it's like, I mean, one episode, one interview, the sound isn't quite right. And immediately you have to fire the person who's responsible for that. Like do, they don't get a chance to make it better. They don't get a chance right. to, wh- that's it. Like one mistake and you're done. And this is where I think it's part of this sort of, uh, woke mindset is people are, people are disposable it's it's an ideology that completely lacks any sort of humanity. And, and I say it's a woke thing, but actually it would be non-woke people as well. We live in a sort of world now where people are now seen as as disposable. You're either perfect or you go in the bin, you know, and you go in the trash. And I just, I don't think that's an attitude that makes us better as a society. The idea that you, you, you fuck up once and you're now forever... Uh, forever cancelled, you know, or you should be fired, and you you shouldn't have a job. I, I just don't see how that how that works.
1: And it's also as well, we we become less and less tolerant to ideas that we disagree with. So, for instance, I'm I'm currently dating someone. She's she's from Queens in New York. She's Puerto Rican uh, origin, and uh, you are Puerto Rican origin, aren't you, Lou? No. <laughs> ah! <laughs> Boom. I'm We're, half Latino. There's my Latino card. Bang! i
2: Racism revealed. Right.
1: Racism revealed. But is it Mexico your heritage?
2: <laughs> well, what was You're, you're cancelled as well, mate. I, he couldn't hear me. I thought it was Mexico that your ancestry is from.
0: Um. No. No. Um, I. Uh, and there was a time in my life where I'd be very offended by that
2: yeah <laughs> that time yeah. is now yeah time <laughs> is now i don't know why. i yeah, yeah. i thought yeah, i remember yeah, reading Latino, about...
0: latinos are so yeah latinos are 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 so uh yeah they're, they're pretty racist i think uh, it's like if you, yeah yeah they are if you, just if you if you mix it up like oh you're from ecuador like how dare you say i'm from
1: ecuador <laughs> um, oh yeah my mom saw that someone mistook her for she's venezuelan someone mistook her for being colombian and that was it the year was finished
2: how could she say I was Colombian? Alright, mate, and, you can stop doing the accent and to cover up for your earlier racism. Yeah. So your girlfriend's from Queens, she's Puerto Rican.
1: Yeah, and uh but um I, but anyway, so I <laughs> can't even remember. I can't means. remember what I was saying. Anyway, I was just white people are the best, I think. I think that's well, that's what we do on the podcast. But I look, I I I think it's because we are incredibly how can I put this? We've become too sensitive, and it's not just a woke thing. It's on every side of the political oh. spectrum. We cannot be exposed to differences of opinion without it seems getting upset, angry, offended, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So uh, my girlfriend at the moment is she's woke. Uh, you know she goes on and Rebellion marches. We sit down, we have a row about politics. You know she sees it from one angle, I see it from another. She's wrong, I'm right, whatever, right? But you know afterwards you then go okay. And then you move on and you talk about things that are more important, you go grab a coffee, whatever else. She's as-
2: hot is what he's yeah. saying. He's prepared to put up with anything because she's hot. Yeah. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. you
0: put you, you put up with it in the hopes that you could maybe bang it out of her or something like that. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. That's what we do. And all of a sudden I'm single again. It- <laughs> but, it, but but underneath that there's a very real and important point in that when I grew up, it was seen as natural to have friends and you know, people who you surrounded yourself with who thought differently from you. And that was a good thing. And that gave it a little bit of spice. You went to the pub or a bar, you had a few pints, you saw the world differently, you had a row and you went back home. And you know what, at the end of the day, you might have even learned something because you get to see the world from another perspective. And it's not just the woke thing, we become intolerant. So for instance, there was a group on Britain's Got Talent, a dance group, very talented, called Diversity. And they did a a dance routine about the uh, murder of George Floyd. Now, apparently, it was very, very powerful and all the rest of it. It got 15,500 complaints from people because they did a dance routine about it because they were outraged and whatever else. What happened to if you didn't like something, you just switched it over? You just changed the channel? Mm. We can't seem anymore as people to be exposed to ideas that we disagree with without getting enraged, without getting triggered with all these different words. And it's really sad because it shows that we're immature in our thinking. As
0: we wrap up, and wanting to leave on a on a positive note... Um, That's not what we do here, mate. A, a dance routine about the murder of George Floyd, very positive note um it wasn't there, uh,
2: celebratory yeah uh, yeah they weren't like "Yay, yeah, yeah. let, let,
1: let's let's do a re." oh it wasn't pro
0: oh okay yeah. it no, wasn't no, in favor no. thank god thank no, goodness yeah, no. they, yeah they weren't in favor. no 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 um, no no no
1: it, it was it was done from a very woke perspective
0: yeah are there um are there any recommendations you guys have um to help people forget about the negative stuff happening now like if you're tired of all the woke shit and all that is there a book is there a movie is there a a TV show is there something.
1: I'll tell you what you can, the best thing you can do if you're tired of all this woke shit is to turn off your phone, turn off your laptop, turn off all of that crap. Go outside into the sunshine, go and meet a friend and mate, go and play some sports, go and hang out, go for a beer, go for a drink and experience real life.
2: It's an interesting answer. I actually disagree with the premise of your question to some extent. I think certainly get off your phone is good advice no matter what. Uh, And I find myself, Mm. if I get stuck in some kind of Twitter loop or whatever, I can feel my emotional state deteriorating as it's happening. So that's definitely the case. Having said that, Lou, I also think that we are now at a point, and I come back to the civilizational point that I made earlier, where it's starting to get existential now. And the idea that you can just sort of switch it off and... Go back to where we were, probably maybe prior to nine eleven, where you could sort of just live your life and not give a shit about politics, and it didn't really matter if it was red team or blue team. They were sort of they or everybody mostly agreed on everything. Mm. All right, one side might have a a, a foreign war. Uh, too many and the other side might be against it or one side would raise your taxes a little bit more than the other or, or you know one side might be slightly more corrupt or you know spend a little bit more time with Jeffrey Epstein or whatever right but these were the sort of marginal issues right like it was not a big deal either way I think we're now at a point where the battle over the future of our society has got to a point where you don't get to sit this one out You really don't Uh, because I think it's really as I said it's existential so while I I think people need to look after their well-being their mental health etc I also think that just trying to kind of get away from it all permanently isn't gonna work this is one where people the only way this ends is if, if enough people step up and say we're not having this anymore we're not having People telling us that we're the worst society in history. We're not going to put up with this. I'm not going to keep quiet when my coworker gets destroyed for having the wrong opinion. I'm not going to be quiet when a comedian gets cancelled for making a joke. I'm not going to be quiet uh, when, when all of this is going on. So I think uh, that's where I maybe take a bit of a slightly different approach. I think this is something that you can't escape from.
1: You wanted a positive thing, didn't you? Yeah, I was you know? going
2: to say, how's that for a positive note? I'll say
0: this. I am, um, I'm very happy that you guys are around. <laughs> so uh, in the same way that you know, I, I am a fan of yours, and I think you help keep, uh, keep the sanity. So thank you guys for helping to keep a little bit more sanity in the world uh, with me. Uh, Constantine Kissing, Francis Foster, Trigonometry, please go and support these fellas. They have a beautiful... Uh, For those of you who are just listening, you can't see how beautiful their studio is, but let's keep it beautiful. And uh, guys, thank you so
2: much. Thanks for having us, Lou, really appreciate it. We're big fans of your work as well, keep it up.
1: Yeah, thanks, Lou. And uh, hopefully we'll see you face-to-face at some point when all this nonsense is over.
2: 2027, wearing full-on hazmat suits. Yeah.